This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, April 9, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, I'll talk about a few ideas related to abortion and pronouns. But first, I'd like to play a promo for something we call Dirt Road Radio. You can view the video for this promo online at dirtroadradio.com. It's a new and exciting venture, and I hope we can capture your interest. You can choose to tune in, contribute to an upcoming Kickstarter campaign, or better yet, help us out as we tell stories about rural life in America. We want to tell a better story about rural life in America. Stories need to be shared. So... We're creating something for everyone to share. It's a streaming radio station called Dirt Road Radio, and we need you to help us build it. At its heart, we want Dirt Road Radio to be a platform for bringing people together. It's a streaming radio station, sure, but it's also a community development project. We want to hear stories from parts of America that don't often get heard. We want to help share those stories far and wide even in the heart of the country, where so many voices are simply piped in from far away. To change things, we're taking people who have stories of the heartland to tell, and we're putting them together with people who know how to share those stories with the world. We're bringing people together. We're a group of podcasters, musicians, artists, pundits, storytellers, and others who came together to serve an undernourished audience. We recognize that so much of the division in our communities has been made worse by the lack of opportunity. Opportunity to hear others tell their own stories. In their own words. With their own voices. We're going to pitch in and narrow that divide. We would love it if you would pitch in too. I'm excited about this new venture. We're just getting it off the ground at this point. We plan to be on the air in just a few short months. If you have an inkling to tell your story or get stories from other folks in your area, please contact Dirt Road Radio at team at dirtroadradio.com. So I have just a couple things to talk about in this short podcast. First of all, in recent years, the anti-abortion movement has seen numerous victories, often framed as a fight for the rights of unborn children. Opponents argue that this movement infringes on women's rights and bodily autonomy. But in the middle of this contentious debate, an unsettling conspiracy theory has emerged, which suggests that forcing women to give birth could create a population of underprivileged children who would eventually serve as a source of labor for the upper class. Now, I know that this theory may seem far-fetched, but it does bring to light a deeply disturbing aspect of American history that is, the forced sterilization of minority and lower-class women as a matter of public policy. Now, yes, I'm being conjectural here, but I'd like to explore this possibility, that is, that the anti-abortion movement could return us to an era when reproductive rights were reserved only for certain women while others were forcibly sterilized. 
Historically, the roots of forced sterilization in the United States came from the eugenics movement of the early 1900s, which aimed to, quote, improve the human race by promoting reproduction among those deemed genetically superior and limiting among those deemed inferior. Now, this was a pseudoscientific movement tainted by early fascist ideologies, which led to the implementation of policies that targeted marginalized and minority groups, such as blacks and Native Americans, as well as the poor, the disabled, and the mentally ill. It was, I believe, an attempt to commit genocide on certain groups of people, but in a quiet sort of way, a way that didn't make the ruling class feel so bad about themselves. And we don't want the ruling class to feel bad about themselves now, do we? The first sterilization law in the United States was enacted in Indiana in 1907, and by the 1930s, 30 states had similar laws on the books. Was it constitutional? Well, apparently so. These laws were upheld by the Supreme Court in the infamous 1927 case Buck v. Bell, in which Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes infamously declared, quote, Three generations of imbeciles are enough. This decision effectively gave states the legal authority to sterilize individuals without their consent or knowledge, resulting in the forced sterilization of an estimated 60 to 70,000 Americans by the mid-1970s. Yes, this is not ancient history. Many of you listening to this podcast were around when these policies were still being practiced. Take, for example, the story of the Ralph sisters in Alabama, two African-American girls aged 12 and 14 who were forcibly sterilized after their illiterate mother unknowingly signed a consent form. Minnie Lee and Mary Alice Ralph were sterilized by tubal ligation by a federally funded family planning clinic in Montgomery, Alabama in 1973. News coverage of a class action lawsuit filed by the Southern Poverty Law Center brought the fact of U.S. government-funded sterilization abuse to the national spotlight. Similar stories abound, such as that of Melvina Hernandez, a 23-year-old Latina mother in Los Angeles who underwent a cesarean section in 1974, only to discover years later that she had been sterilized without her consent. Now, these stories are a harrowing reminder of the pain and suffering inflicted upon countless women by a system that deemed them unworthy of the basic right to reproduce. Forced sterilization policies disproportionately targeted minority and low-income communities, exacerbating existing inequalities and perpetuating a system of oppression. The idea that certain groups of people were inherently inferior and should be prevented from reproducing is a chilling reminder of the fascist ideologies that plagued the 20th century. As we grapple with the resurgence of the anti-abortion movement, I believe it is essential to consider the possibility, however conjectural, that limiting reproductive rights could push society toward a system reminiscent of forced sterilization. Could the increasing restrictions on abortion access disproportionately impact minority and low-income women, once again denying them the right to make decisions about their own bodies and futures? I'll let that question hang out there. Something to think about. While it may seem unlikely that the anti-abortion movement would openly advocate for such policies, the historical precedent of forced sterilization serves as a reminder that reproductive rights have often been tied to the whims of those in power. It is not entirely unfathomable that the movement, fueled by moral and religious convictions, 
could lead to a resurgence of restrictions that disproportionately affect marginalized communities. As the anti-abortion movement gains momentum, it is crucial to recognize the importance of reproductive rights as a fundamental aspect of women's rights and bodily autonomy. Limiting access to abortion services could create an environment in which only certain women, typically those with greater privilege and access to resources, are allowed to make decisions about their reproductive health. In this context, the conspiracy theory linking the anti-abortion movement to a potential resurgence of forced sterilization practices becomes less far-fetched. While the connection may not be direct, the parallels between the two movements serve as a stark reminder of the potential consequences of limiting reproductive rights. The bottom line here is that the history of forced sterilization in the United States is a grim reminder of the power dynamics and oppressive ideologies that can shape reproductive rights. As we confront the growing influence of the anti-abortion movement, I believe it is vital that we remain vigilant against the potential erosion of women's rights, particularly for minority and low-income women who have historically borne the brunt of reproductive oppression. Further, I believe it is crucial that we engage in open and honest conversations about the implications of the anti-abortion movement, examining its potential consequences and historical parallels. Only by shining a light on the dark history of forced sterilization can we work to ensure that the mistakes of the past are not repeated and that the reproductive rights of all women are safeguarded and respected. On another topic, I'd like to briefly talk about the latest news in the war on pronouns. In the great state of Arkansas, the legislature has recently passed a bill that places limits on public school teachers and staff using a student's preferred pronoun. Under the bill, titled the, quote, Given Name Act, Teachers and staff cannot be forced to use a student's preferred pronoun because it is deemed a matter of free speech. Okay, I get it. Free speech. Instead, the student's correct pronoun will be determined by their birth certificate. Now, if you don't already know the gender-based pronouns, they are he, him, his, she, her, and hers. You've seen these pronouns pop up lately in people's online profiles and bios. I never paid much attention to pronouns, honestly. They're intended to be a convenience of the language, allowing you to refer to a person without having to constantly say their name over and over again. And as for me, out of respect, I'll address anyone the way they want to be addressed. But for some reason, this practice really gets under the skin of some people, and apparently it's a big enough issue in Arkansas to where the state legislature has had to devote some of its valuable time to sorting out this diminutive and overall pointless controversy. So anyway, the Arkansas legislation does offer some flexibility. A school employee, a teacher for example, may use a student's preferred pronoun, but only, 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 only if they have written permission from the student's parent or guardian and they're willing to use it. Now, if a teacher opts to not use a student's preferred pronoun, even with written permission, they are not required to do so. Hey, it's a free country, right? If you want to disrespect someone, you're free to do so, even if you're a teacher talking to a student. But the law actually goes a little bit further because it indemnifies or protects teachers and staff members from, quote, adverse employment actions if their pronoun use goes against a student's wishes. So, if I'm a boy, for example, a teacher is free to refer to me as a girl, and the law will protect them. It doesn't seem to align with my sense of showing respect for students, but, hey, you know, this is just collateral damage in the war on pronouns. We are at war, you know, right? 
Now, the bill was sponsored by Representative Wayne Long and Senator Mark Johnson, along with 11 co-sponsors, and it has made its way to Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' desk for signature. Now, I'm going to refer to Sarah Huckabee Sanders as Mr. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, if you don't mind. I mean, I could say I'm from Kansas, where the state legislature advocates for inspecting children's genitals to confirm their sexual identity. And let's be real about it. I've never been able to inspect Sarah Huckabee Sanders' genitals, so I really don't know, do I? I mean, she looks like a woman, but you really don't know, do you? So I'll call her Mr. Huckabee Sanders for the time being. Mr. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that is. If you don't mind. And there's nothing that the state of Arkansas can do about it. (laughs) But honestly, I'm disparaging Governor Sanders, and it's below me to do that. So I apologize to the governor. But I'm trying to make a point. The point being that this whole controversy is an attempt to wrap legislation around something that is cultural in nature. And in the end, it's just going to lead to more ill feelings building up on both sides of our ongoing culture war. That's something that in the long run isn't going to make this country any better. And to be a bit more serious, I believe it's important to acknowledge the concerns that some people have about this legislation. There are those who worry that people's right to be addressed in a way that reflects their personal preference might be infringed upon. But, at the same time, forcing people to use certain pronouns leads to a general restriction of free speech. Now, the main problem, in my view, is that some folks just want to disrespect others by referring to them in disparaging ways. Okay, it happens. It shouldn't happen in my view, but hey, it's a free country, right? And because this whole thing is cultural in nature, I believe it's a political cesspool. And the Arkansas legislature has unwittingly waded into it up to their necks. The illusion is that they can actually have this culture war under control. They don't. All they did was make an ill-advised move, and we'll have to wait to see what the future holds in this ongoing war on pronouns. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And whether or not you agree with my concerns, I hope I was able to make you think. I don't want agreement. I simply want to inspire your ability to think and act upon your beliefs. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you tune in again next week.